0: The Astrea Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book One The Voyage South. Chapter Ten, in which the Molly returns to the village. Scarm woke in two kinds of pain. A fire was burning in his arm, but his memories of Astrea were just as painful. He reached for the skin of whiskey and lit a third fire in his gullet. He hung the skin on its peg against the boat's side and levered himself cautiously into a sitting position. His head throbbed, then settled down into a dull ache. Air, he muttered, as he braced himself with his good arm and stood up. His four steps up to the cockpit were hazardous as the molly dipped and swung to a quartering wind, but eventually he stood with one hip braced and an elbow crooked under the cabin top.
1: Skirm, What in blazes are you doing out of your bunk?'
0: demanded Roaring Jack. The old sailor's gaze took in Red Ian on the weather side of the cockpit, the main sheet in a huge hand, and Yan slumped drowsily in the lee. He looked up at the sail, now bellying full above them, glanced first starboard to the weather side where the high cloud masked the sun, then to port, where lay a darker line that told of land on the horizon. Then he focused on Roaring Jack's face. His red hair and whiskers pushed sideways across his face by the wind. "'I'm better in the wind. Takes me mind off what happened back there. Tell me, Jack, what's the plan?' Roaring Jack jerked his head to the landward side, and he hesitated momentarily before answering. "'We've gotten a landfall, probably a bit south of where we lost sight of it. When the storm blew up on us. It's a lee shore. That's why you're standing out this far. Roaring Jack nodded and glanced around him. Scarm had the odd sensation that the skipper had not thought of this obvious strategy. Get some northern. Hope the wind
1: eases. Drop to leeward in a bit. Look for shelter. Could be
0: turning into an easterly. Could be. Hope not. Scarm wondered what he was hearing in the skipper's tone, because it certainly was not the usual confident bellow. "'How long have we been going?' "'You slept a night, and the day's more'n half over.' Scarm shook his head in disbelief, felt dizzy, and let himself sink down into a sitting position on the cockpit sole. There would be no turning back now. He would have to live with his conviction that they had not done enough to rescue Astrea or, worse, to find his body. His respect for Roaring Jack dimmed, but he deliberately spurned that thought and looked for a reason to excuse the skipper. "'Did anyone get any sleep, besides me,
1: that is?' "'Red and Yan took some of the way through the night.'
0: "'Jack, you've been at the helm for the best part of three days, then,' Roaring Jack shrugged. "'Thinking about me foolishness in sailing south. "'Trying to make up me mind what to tell Lana about Strayer.' "'Yan's head jerked upward. "'Neither Roaring Jack nor Red Ian noticed, "'but Skarm, seated at the same level, "'saw a gleam of eyes before the boy slumped back into counterfeit sleep. "'A few moments later, when Roaring Jack called for food from the cabin, "'Yan put on an unconvincing show of waking up. Protecting his arm, Skarm hauled himself painfully out of Yan's way and took the boy's place on the lee side. Yan avoided his eyes as they passed. Throughout the rest of the day, Skarm took his mind off his pain by covertly watching Yan. The boy was quick to respond to Roaring Jack's orders, earning the occasional good lad when he finished a task— However, Skarn saw a puppy-dog, fawning kind of obedience, deliberately contrived to say, "'Look at me being brave after all that's happened to me!' Roaring Jack appeared to be taken in. Skarn decided that the skipper was probably so numbed with tiredness and grief that this was not the time to talk about his uncomfortable conviction that Yan was concealing something. Later in the day they cautiously dropped downwind towards the shoreline, which changed from a blue smudge to a hard, dark line against an afternoon sky patched with puffy clouds. Then, just when they were close to afternoon-shadowed cliffs, the wind freshened, pushing them constantly closer towards outlying rocks, each marked in white by waves exploding into spray.' Scarm hung on with his good hand and looked for anything that would signal a cove or inlet, knowing that Roaring Jack, Red Ian, and Yan were doing the same. The Molly was skittish in the troubled water, demanding their best efforts at the helm and sheets. Looking ahead as the Molly poised on a wave, Scarm saw one cliff edge apparently moving against the line of farther headlands. He waited until the next time the boat rose out of a trough before confirming what he thought he had seen. "'Ease her a bit, Jack. There's a break in the cliffs ahead.'
1: "'She'll leave shore. uh, And if you're wrong, we'll be fresh out of luck. And I'll be—'
0: Roaring Jack bit off his words as they turned into a whine. Skarm frowned in disbelief at the uncharacteristic display of uncertainty. Moments later, as the molly rose to another wave, Skarm saw the gap he had noticed opening like a doorway and he was looking through to see low hills in the distance. "'Just a bit, Jack. Hold her now. There it is. A beach. No breakers, either.' "'Better be right, skirm,' he said accusingly, and then continued in his habitual bellow, "'Mind the sheets,
1: boys. We'll be on the point of a jibe all the way in.'
0: They were lucky. The molly threaded between spray-splashed rocks long skeins of foam painting the waves downwind, but no rocks or shoals barred their way. Roaring Jack altered course, and as the cliffs cut off the wind that had threatened to run them ashore, they saw a curve of sand and pebbles that had been invisible from the open sea. "'We'll beat her, boys,' said Roaring Jack, as he used what was left of the wind to urge the molly onward." A rainy easterly blew past them in the night, drumming on the cabin roof and soaking the Molly's furled sails. When they awoke the next day and looked up, a watery, yellowish sun had thinned some of the mist, and the sky was clear only immediately above them. Out between the headlands was a wall of white. All that day, a fog clung to the sea, coiling into their bay. We ain't going no place today, lads, said Roaring Jack.
1: "'Best spend our time getting ourselves shipshape, "'Yan, find us some fresh water.'
0: "'Yan dragged out the remaining water-keg, "'the other two having been left behind in his mad rush back to the molly. "'Here, lad, I'll take the other end of an oar for you,' said Scarm "'Yan was not enthusiastic, but could hardly refuse the help. "'They slung the keg below an oar, "'and made their way up the beach beyond the tide-line "'to where the stream ran fresh.' While Yan pressed the keg into the stream to fill it, Scarm effected a nonchalant examination of the scrubby pines that grew to the stream's edge. "'It's not going to be easy to tell astrea's mother what happened. Uh, would you like to try with me now, so's you know what to say?' "'Uh, oh, oh all right,' said Yan, unable to think of a way out. "'We—um—' "'Straya and me uh, beached the tender and headed up over the dike. Uh, "'There was a path that led to a well, "'so we hauled up the water and filled the kegs, "'and and and then, and then—' "'The men,' prompted Skarm. "'Yeah, uh, the men came and they killed Estraya.' "'Just like that?' "'Yeah, while I was hauling up water from the well.' "'They left you alone?' "'I uh, I guess they didn't notice me.' Skarm bit back the obvious question why Yan had been spared, and left the story unquestioned for the time being. "'I know this is difficult for you, Yan, "'but how did you know he was dead? Oh, "'I could see the blood. "'He was on the ground, his face in the dirt, and 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 blood. "'Where?' "'All down his cheek, uh, from his ear to his chin.' "'Into the ground.' "'He was hit on the head?' Yan nodded, looking at Skarm for the first time in his recitation. "'With what?' "'Jan's mouth remained open briefly. "'He swallowed and took a big breath. "'With—with with hammers, three or four of them. "'Big hammers, like—like—' like, "'He paused and then rushed on. "'Like for driving posts into the ground.' "'And so you?' "'I grabbed the oars and ran.' "'Smart of you to think of them. "'You must have been scared.' "'Yan nodded. "'They yelled after me, too.' "'Good thing they didn't have their bows.' Uh "'Uh-huh. "'I I guess the ones with the bows were back at the dike.' "'But you didn't see them.' "'Yan shrugged. "'I was kind of busy running with the oars.' "'Of course you were. "'Now, shall we get the keg back to the boat?' They returned to the molly, where Roaring Jack was preparing to set sail with the morning tide. Scarm was unconvinced by Yan's story, but Roaring Jack was so eager to sympathise, and Yan stayed so close to him, that there was no opportunity to broach the subject with the skipper, much less have Yan retell his obviously fabricated account. When the next morning produced a southwest wind under a sky brushed with high, wispy cloud, they were on their way north once again. Around midday, Roaring Jack identified a distinctive cliff face that marked the abandoned village. All were glad when the entrance to that bay was astern, even though it meant spending the night bobbing at anchor in the lee of a tree-clad island further along the coast, close to a rugged shoreline where the waves surged between mounded-up boulders. Over the next few days they had good weather, with light but persistent southwesterly winds that carried the molly northwards on a comfortable reach. Skarm tried to find a moment when he could talk to Roaring Jack without Yan hearing them, but when such opportunities arrived, Roaring Jack was either unwilling or unable to speak about anything to do with their ill-fated arrival at Deanmouth. Skarm gradually came to the conclusion that by refusing to talk about what had happened— the skipper was putting off his task of returning without Estrella by living in denial. Roaring Jack's remorse was clear from his long, moody silences and over-concern for Jan, who basked in the attention, and became as voluble as the skipper was silent. "'When are we going to fish, skipper?' he asked every morning, and when Roaring Jack just shook his head and shaped a course northward. Yan pestered both Redian and Skarm, with questions about likely spots to find fish. When neither would answer to his satisfaction, he took to sitting on the bowsprit, humming monotonously to himself. When the third day started with the very same question, Roaring Jack told Yan to sling a line over the side if he wished, but made no alteration of his course northwards. Yan immediately set the largest hook he could find. All three men let him be, since it was clear that the skipper was humouring the boy. Throughout the day... "'Yan watched a long line that led from a bucket in the cockpit "'over the stern and into the molly's wake. "'To nobody's surprise, the day ended with nothing caught. Jan was obviously losing interest, "'but more to cope with boredom than any hope of catching anything, "'he set the line again as they began another day's run. "'Scarcely had he paid out enough line to clear the wake "'when he gave a yell as the line cut into his hand. "'Oh, I got one! Skipper, I got a fish!' Haul it in, then, boy! Yan pulled, and then was nearly tugged into the water himself. He yelled as the line cut into his hands. Here, put these on, said Red Ian, handing him a pair of gloves. Somehow, Yan pulled the gloves onto his cut hands without either letting go of the line or being yanked into the sea. He was just in time, because the fish made a long run that took most of the line. Haul in, said Red Ian. Yan needed no encouragement or instruction. He'd been hauling fish all his life, first from the shore or the wharf, then from dories in the bay, but nothing had prepared him for the size of the one that he had hooked. Roaring Jack glanced shoreward to ensure that he had plenty of sea room and brought the molly head to wind. "'We'll heave to and
1: let him have his fish.'
0: and read and backed the jib and hauled the main while Roaring Jack watched Yan indulgently. It soon became clear that this was no ordinary fish. Again and again Yan hauled in the slack line, only to have the fish make another plunge for freedom. Red Ian helped keep the line clear and untangled, but Yan shrugged off any help to work his fish. Finally, when he thought his arms would take no more, he saw a huge grey shape rise towards the surface near the molly's blunt bows. "'Here he is!' Roaring Jack caught Yan's enthusiasm. "'Gaff him, Red!' Red Ian locked his knees under the stern decking and jabbed downwards, his big shoulders straining his canvas jacket drum taut "'Missed him! He's big! Hold me feet!' Yan was about to protest when the fish rolled on its side, showing a body that even Red Ian could not have put his arms around. As Skarm braced Red Ian's feet— Roaring Jack pulled out a harpoon and prepared to join in. One knee on the narrow deck, he leaned over the side, looking for the right moment. Once he started, only to check his thrust. Then he drove his harpoon deep into the back of the fish's head. The water streaked red as it thrashed wildly, and eventually floated still beside the boat.
1: "'Right. Now all we have to do is get him
0: aboard.' This proved to be a major undertaking— because, although the fish was dead, it was still occasionally twitching, and it weighed more than they could lift. Finally, they secured lines around its body, ran a block and tackle halfway up the mast, hauled it up the boat's side, and lashed the creature along the starboard gunwale against the cabin. The molly listed to one side as if pressed down by a strong wind. "'That's some thundering great fish you've caught, Yan said Roaring Jack, when they all climbed back into the cockpit and set the molly back on her course. "'I never seen a bigger one. We need to celebrate.' Red Ian fetched the whiskey skin from the cabin and passed it around. "'Just one swig, young Yan,' said Roaring Jack. Yan managed to avoid coughing, though his eyes widened and he had to take several long breaths before he could talk. Then he could not stop talking—' He relived every instant of the struggle with the fish, pausing only to look at the results of his luck. The three men, all of whom remembered their first big fish, let him run on, but they eventually stopped listening. The next day was spent sailing in light airs on gently rolling seas towards the village. The time hung heavily on Roaring Jack, who spent many hours with the tiller in one fist, and his other hand tugging at his red beard until one side was noticeably shorter than the other. He answered all questions with grunts, and turned away when Skarm tried to open a conversation. They reached the approaches to the village in the late afternoon, as the cliffs threw their shadows onto the sea. The gap between the headlands was a dark opening onto the fjord, hidden until the molly was sliding down the last of the ocean waves into the calm water that led to the village. As they approached, it was clear from the crowd on the wharf that someone had seen them coming from the cliff-top. When lines were tossed to willing hands ashore, and the molly was alongside, the crowd moved forward to wonder at the size of the big fish lashed along the starboard side. "'Where you find a great fish like that, Jack? "'How big is it?' "'Who caught it?' "'I did!' Yan yelled. Instantly he was at the centre of attention. He climbed onto the cabin roof and stood over his prize, drinking in the admiration. He waved and grinned, then started into an account of how he had caught the fish, single-handed. Roaring Jack cut across Yan's self-important account. "'Where's Alanna?' "'She's at her cottage,' said Molly. "'Go see her, Jack.' "'See to the lines, Red. Skirm, Yan, come with me.' He vaulted ashore and started for the steep path up to Alanna's cottage. Molly caught his arm, but he yanked his arm away and scowled at her. Stray is dead, Moll, and it's my fault. Leaving his wife without the embrace that had ended every voyage since they married, he strode up the hill. Is it true, Skarm? She asked. Skarm nodded as he passed her. Jan following uncertainly behind. The three of them walked up the hill in silence, except for their plodding footfalls and the steadily decreasing murmur of the crowd at the wharf. Roaring Jack reached the cottage door, took a deep breath, and raised his fist to knock on the weathered wood. The door opened before his knuckles touched it. He looked down on the Alanna's upturned face, her eyes steady and her mouth firm.
1: "'Lanna, I have to tell you that young Strayer's dead.
0: There it is.' said, and it's my fault. Lana, he's gone, but— No, he's not, Jack. Estrella isn't dead, and it certainly isn't your fault. Roaring Jack's mind latched onto her last words, and his guilt diminished. He looked at her gratefully, his hunched shoulders relaxing. Behind his back, Skarm wondered at Lana's certainty. He glanced sideways at Yan and caught a look of something close to terror in the boy's eyes— Skarm felt his disbelief in Yan's story suddenly grow into a conviction.
1: "'It's true, Lana. Come, boy, tell her.'
0: "'Yan looked first at Roaring Jack, then at Alana. "'His mouth opened and closed several times. "'His hands came up to his face. "'He turned and fled down the path. "'The poor lad can't hardly bear it, Lana. "'He was there when they killed
1: Straya, "'and it's cause I sent him ashore for water.'
0: Ignoring the skipper, Alanna turned to Skarm. "What do you say, Ian?" Alanna. "I didn't see it. Uh, I roaring Jack talked Skarm down. Skarm
1: got shot by the
0: rotten bastards. He was out of it when we left.
1: I oh, should have gone back, but there was Skarm with an arrow in him and near to being a goner.
0: So we left without Stray's body. I oh, know you can't forgive me, Lana. I'd do anything to make it better, but Jack." "'You must go back for him, and that's all there is to it. "'Now come into the house where you can tell me the whole story of your voyage. "'You too, Ian.' "'The big skipper meekly ducked his head under the door frame "'and followed her into the cottage, Scarm behind him. "'Yan, who had stopped a little way down the path, saw them go in. "'He turned and ran down the hill to revel in the villagers' admiration of his fish.' You have been listening to the Astrea Trilogy, Book 1, The Voyage South, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit astreatrilogy.com for more about Astrea's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.